Welcome to We Will Win, a Robotech podcast. I'm your host, Michael McCall, joined by my co-host, Mr. Mike Cunliffe. Mike, how are you today? I am great, sir. I'm very excited to be here. Now, for the people listening, why are we doing this? Well, uh, we have decided to revisit the entire Robotech saga, uh, watching every episode in order, chronologically, to tell the entire sweeping story of the Robotech story. And uh, we figured since it's been so long, since we both watched it, we would do a podcast. And each episode would be our thoughts on the episode and uh, our perspective on it as adults versus when we first viewed it as children. Right. Now, I first saw Robotech in one setting. I uh, spent the night all weekend at a friend of mine's house. And I think we invented binge watching. Wow. Like it was all on videotape. There were six episodes per tape. Uh-huh. Uh, my friend said those were edited, so going back and rewatching these, I'm going to see like five or six minutes here and there that I've never seen before. Oh, wow. But it's literally been since I was around 12 or 13. Uh, I don't want to give my age away, but that's about 25 years ago. <laughs> well, I had uh, I, uh, I a late 80s, early 90s, somewhere in that area. I saw it initially. Uh, I was living in beautiful Victorville, California as a child. My father was stationed out there when I was uh, a, a wee lad. And uh, watched in it. the Robotech Expeditionary Force. Absolutely correct. From the Mars base colony. Nice. Uh, no, but we uh, it aired on one of the local stations there after school, uh, five days a week. It would come on after Voltron and GI Joe and Transformers, and I watched it uh, in its initial airing out there. And I saw every episode every week and tuned in. I was, you know, it was like. I, it was like watching Lost. I had to watch every episode, and the next episode, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. And, of course, this was before DVD, so it wasn't available to watch you know, early or anything like that. So I had to sit through it weekly for the 85 episodes in total. Now, my first exposure to Robotech came in the year 1984. I remember this specifically uh, because it was we went down to New Orleans for the World's Fair. Ah, my uh, great-grandmother lived in New Orleans. My grandmother's from there, 14 brothers and sisters, a large family wow. in New Orleans. Uh, if you uh, haven't guessed yet, yes, they are Catholic. Uh, <laughs> so I remember seeing an episode there, but then it, it, it did not air in Birmingham. Mm. So my only exposure post-New Orleans was seeing the awesome toys at Service Merchandise. Wow which we had here, and really wanting them, but never, never, I never got the Veritech, which mm. was very disappointing to me as a child because uh, it, it looked like an awesome cross between the G.I. Joe airplane and a Transformer. Mm-hmm. So, that, like, how awesome is that in, in theory? That hits you, know? you right in the sweet spot. Um, well, I had uh, seen the advertisement for it on television and wanted to tune in, but there was a comic book store in town that I used to go frequent whenever I could convince my parents to take me. And they would import from Japan a lot of model kits and press books and other merchandise from Macross and some of the other, you know, uh, Japanese shows that they had, uh, you know, brought to America. Like, uh, uh, well, over in Japan it's called Gotcha Man, but over here it was called Battle of the Planets. Right. And it uh, used to air on TBS, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it did. And uh, with uh, the late Casey Kasem voicing uh, uh, Mark, the, the the main character. Um, but anyway, I digress. But but they also had um, a lot of other, you know, Japanese comic books and things like that. But they had, you know, model kits from what is now called in America Robotech. But they had, you know, the, the Veritech fighters and the SDF-1 and things like that. And so I had a little, a little tiny 
understanding that this was a show from another country, that this came from Japan when I initially watched it. But it definitely was unlike any other cartoon show up to that point I had been exposed to. I mean, I had a little tiny glimpse of Jap animation seeing Battle of the Planets, but that was so heavily um, sanitized and, 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 and redone for the American audience that it, it didn't follow the, the ongoing story that, that that cartoon told in Japan. But Robotech was the first time I remember seeing a cartoon that told a serialized story that had characters that died and there was like, you know, intrigue and, and you know, love triangles and all the things you would find in like a regular, you know, normal soap opera type TV show, but just as a cartoon for kids. Now, I wish I could say my first exposure to Japanimation was Akira, but I'm not that cool. Uh, it was not. They came a little later. <laughs> yes. It was it was definitely Robotech, uh, Battle of the Planets mm-hmm. on TBS. Voltron. Yes. The same thing, you know. Voltron is cool. Yes, it is very cool. Uh, but I had this thought just the other day about Voltron. Voltron is a procedural because every episode is the same. No, honestly, I have not seen an episode of Voltron <laughs> since the 80s, so... I will I will give you the Cliff Notes version <laughs> of every episode of Voltron. Uh, the bad guy comes to the planet where the Voltron lives. Voltron lives. Right. Um, <laughs> the Voltron Force. Force lives, there excuse me. Go. I should use their proper names. Uh, the Voltron Force... Uh, he wants to do something bad. They try to stop him. He sends a Robeast. They turn into Voltron, form Blazing Sword, kill the Robeast, end of episode. I mean, literally every episode of Voltron, with maybe the exception of the first four or five that sets up the premise of the show, is almost exactly the same. Now, did that ruin your appreciation of Voltron <laughs> once you, you picked up on that? Because well, that, that is my fear of doing this podcast. Is I, I do have, have very treasured memories of watching uh, Robotech and enjoy it. Now I'm worried that I'm going to destroy them by revisiting this uh, as an adult. Well, I think that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. I- I'm curious to know too if if my memories of it hold up as well. Now, I know I've read a lot about the history of this show and sort of how it was put together and things like that. But the actual show itself, watching the show itself, it's been so long since I've done that. I- I'm very curious to see if it does hold up and and that the drama still grips me the way that it did when I was a kid. Because I've gone back, I've rewatched some GI Joe, some Transformers, and not so good. No, not so not much. Not so good. Basically, uh, commercials. Yes, exactly. Too young to realize at the time. At the time, they're pandering to us. Oh, we yeah. are so naive. <laughs> well, it was a step up from uh, the uh, Fonzie and the Gang's animated <laughs> adventures. Absolutely, absolutely. There was a weird era in the early '80s where there were a lot of spinoffs of primetime sitcoms. But in a weird animated form. Yeah, it was very strange. It was like there was Laverne and Shirley, but they were in the army. Yes, and then the Happy Days gang weren't they time traveling? Like Fonzie was in a time machine with a girl, and I, I, honestly, it's a little it's, vague. It was in my mind. It was very weird that they. I remember were, there was Gilligan's Planet. Gilligan's Planet, yes. Well, anything with you know science fiction in the late seventies, early eighties was go- was gold. Everything was Star Warsized. If you That's want to right. call it you that. You had your Battlestar Galactica. Your, your Buck uh, Rogers. Buck Rogers, which is not available anywhere on streaming because I looked last night. I'll let you borrow my DVDs. So. <laughs> <laughs> because here, here, and here's why I say that. Because the other day, I, I kind of, there's this girl I have a, a bit of a crush on on Facebook. And she posted a picture of Twiggy the robot. Uh, and in the comment section, one of her guy friends wrote, oh, why is he wearing a clock around <laughs> his neck? And I was quick to type in. I mean, as soon as I read it, I'm like, that is not a clock. No, that sir. is another robot named Dr. Theopolis. That is correct. And I immediately typed, I regret typing this in that I know this. <laughs> and now that you all know that I know this. Own your nerddom, sir. A- absolutely. And, and that's, you know, we won. We kind of are in charge of the culture now. 
Absolutely. And, and I think that's good to some degree, but it, I was talking to my brother about this the other day, that all I really watch a lot is still just professional wrestling, <laughs> cartoons, and movies and television based on comic books. Yeah. I feel like society is not allowing me to grow up no, it's and like enjoy uh, adult things. We are living in, if, if I could go back in time and, 12, uh, 12, and tell my 12-year-old self all the wonders that I would witness as an adult, I wouldn't believe myself. I, 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 I can't, uh, the, the, the movies that are coming out and the storylines that are being covered and the characters that are getting their own films, it's mind-boggling to me to think that we've come to this point where all these things that I visioned as a, as a kid and played with my action figures and all my toys. Right. Those not, are, not action figures based on what I liked. I had to pretend. I had yeah, to take other action figures and, and make, pre- pretend they were comic book characters. Yes, absolutely. Like and now they are multi-million dollar big screen extravaganzas and I'm right. sure Robotech at some point will be rebooted and, and turned into a giant film. I've tried to do that for years sure. but uh, Toby McGuire was trying to do it for a while but um, but Fro- one, Fro- one day Frozen anti-Semite Walt Disney is laughing all the way to the bank <laughs> now that he, he o- like he owns Marvel mm-hmm. he owns Lucasfilm mm-hmm. and they're going to get so much money out of it. Oh, they already have and they're going to continue oh, to get money out of me in the, in the coming years. Just making it rain. Absolutely. I look forward to the potential Robotech, <laughs> a live-action film. I, I read up uh, in preparation for this, and apparently I think Leonardo DiCaprio is now somehow involved. Oh, really? Well, I knew that at some point they had hired Lawrence Kasdan, I thought. To no, write... he wrote the original draft of the script in 08. I see, okay. But I knew that he was... Gone, ex- it's gone through it's, several I'm sure it has. I knew that he... When his name popped up, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, but... I know how Hollywood works, and it'll be 12 different writers between now and tomorrow before they have a draft they like. So, And for the people listening who don't know who Lawrence Kasdan is, I assume anyone listening to this is going to know who, know who Lawrence that is. Kasdan is. But if you don't know, he was the uh, screenwriter of The Empire Strikes Back. Yes, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Two pretty classic movies. As far as I'm concerned, two perfect films. Absolutely. They're... You know, we could, we could do we a could whole go on, podcast yes. about Star Wars. But we should... And we maybe should, we will. But we, let's delve into... Episode one of Robotech. Episode one titled Booby Trap. Yes. Yes. Very Which ominous. Makes you makes you giggle a little bit. That little twelve year old brain still spinning. But Absolutely. Um, but yes, it's a very um I remember the first time I saw this and it, it still kinda gripped me when I when I rewatched it the other night. Um it it gives you a lot of information right at the beginning. There's a, a prologue. They, they ought to just call this episode Info Dump. Yes, it's pretty much, this is all the exposition you need to sort of understand the concept of what we're about to do. But it, but even then, it, it's still, there's a lot thrown at you. There's it, a lot in about 22 minutes. You get a, they really throw a lot in there. You get a history lesson of the Earth from the year 1999 and all the things that have been going on on Earth prior to that date. Apparently, Earth has been mired in a global war. Absolutely, a, a, a ravaged even. Yes, and, by and, global war. And same so, as in Star Trek. Apparently, everyone thought the nineties <laughs> was going to be when everyone just duped that's it out. That's it. We're done. We're not going to make it past the nineties. But uh, lo and behold, uh, like a, a in the far off future of nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine A.D. Eight A.D. To appease the religious. Set. Absolutely. Uh, um, but in the year nineteen ninety nine, uh, a space fortress, a super dimensional space fortress. From right. deep space, crash lands on Earth onto on, the tiny island of Macross. Macross Island. But on, on its way, though, and I, I noted this mm-hmm. while watching it today, <laughs> on its way to crash land on Macross Island, totally wipes out an unnamed city. 
Absolutely. A major, just, uh, which looked like a major city because it was all skyscrapers, mm-hmm. and they just collapse, and, it, and that shot takes about three seconds. <laughs> but an entire city wiped just out. wiped out. I mean, Wiped out just, on the, from the power of the shock waves of this ship crashing through our atmosphere. Right. So it lands on beautiful Macross Island. An uninhabited island in the Pacific. Yes. And so this signals the end of the global war. Humanity goes, hey, there's people out there in outer space. We right. should probably stop let's, fighting. Let's stop fighting each other. Let's stop ravaging our planet with this global war. You know, we've got to, you know, we've got to get it together, people. We've got to unite as a common good and figure out what's going on. Because if we're being threatened by outer space... We need to get our stuff together and take That's care of this right. problem. Russians and Americans, let's be friends. Let's unite against these weird aliens. In the spirit of future Glasnost. Absolutely. So over the intervening 10 years, between the initial ship crash in 1999 to the then far-off future of 2009. And I guess we should state, for the record, I believe this show premiered in, what, 84? 84, 85 was uh, okay. the time frame that I remember watching it. 1984. So that's still... Fifteen years in the yeah, future, pretty, you know, fifteen to twenty-five years in the future. It's far enough away at that point to sort of go, "Wow, that is in the future," and you know, who knows what might, what might happen. And here we are in beautiful twenty fifteen. Twenty fifteen, the same year that Back to the Future Two is set in. That still boggles my mind. <laughs> it really does. Like future movies, I think from there should be a law they have to be set a thousand years <laughs> in the future because anything close to the present day. Is going to just be weird. I mean, although it's fun, I love going back and watching these, I guess, retro futuristic yeah, films. It's, it's interesting because I uh, uh, watched Back to the Future 2 right after the new year because I thought, oh, it's 2015, revisit it. I need to know how I'm supposed to dress this year. Absolutely. Which sport teams are going to win. <laughs> and I believe it stated the Cubs versus the Marlins. No, it's the Miami Gators. The Miami Gators, Miami, which is Miami not Gators. a. Miami at the time did not even have a professional baseball that team. That joke doesn't even work in the in the context of now, watching now it now. Now that we have the Miami Marlins, though, the problem with that scenario is that they are both in the National League. <laughs> so it would be impossible unless something happens this year they shift them over the American League. It, well, it's it's now don't forget that it's uh it's Back to the Future takes place in November 2015. So we've still got a little bit of ways for all the, the baseball oh, to change. You know so it's still... I will be mighty surprised though. <laughs> but uh, anyway, as uh, as we digress into... Still looking for fu- Jaws 3D uh, <laughs> to come. The other one, not the Michael Caine Jaws right. 3D. <laughs> Jaws the Revenge. This time it's really personal. Um, but uh, in the far off future of the year 2008... Uh, humanity has now banded together, reunited uh, as a common good, and have rebuilt this space fortress in an attempt to harness its secrets. And during this process, they have created a new technology that we have now dubbed robotechnology. That's right. Uh, they spent that 10 years between 99 and 2009. They sent scientists to Macross Island to study this crash ship, and it's just leaps and bounds beyond the technology of the day that Earth had, and now we figured out all the... It only took us a decade, mm-hmm. but we figured out all these secrets, and we've restored this crashed ship. And uh, you know what? Let's throw a dang party. Absolutely. Because we spent a decade pouring, uh, assuming all the resources... <laughs> Every dollar the world has. ...a globally ravaged Earth has <laughs> into restoring this spaceship and in, in making cool 
new technology, cool new war technology. Absolutely. From it. Well, you know, if there's a threat of alien invasion, you got to have something to fight back the uh, alien invaders that are coming. And wouldn't you know it that the day they're having the big inauguration christening of the the new SDF one on Macross Island, now, which has now been turned into a giant city. Absolutely, island. like a huge metropolis built around. The, the crash ship. You have to think all the contractors and all the people that are integrating the technology and right. all the people working on the... Much larger than Los Alamos. Absolutely. <laughs> but the, and Macross, the city, according to the episode, is huge. It's a, enormous. There's giant skyscrapers everywhere. It's like a New York City or Tokyo-sized city. Place. And the and the ship itself is bigger than that. I mean, the ship. Uh, I forget if they mention in the. It, in it, it is three quarters of a mile in length. Wow! Because I it is on this <laughs> way too nerdy and detailed notes that I took today. You are a good man, sir. While watching it, three quarters of a mile in length. But uh, and the the crash did not destroy. It roughed up some of the armor plating, but the technology still intact. Absolutely. And on this day, uh, all of the big wigs are coming. They're having a big party to send off the ship into its maiden voyage. And that is where we are introduced to one Captain Glovel. Yes. Captain Henry Glovel, who is the commander of the ship, the captain of the ship, as it were, uh, who is on his way. But he's not very happy. Not not, not at all. A gruff captain, yes. if you will. He's got that sort of... Uh, I, I don't want to deal with the pomp and circumstance. Uh, I just want to get on my ship and, and do my duty and be out there and taking care of all this. I don't want to have to wave to the crowd. But he relents. and In, in the spirit of the day. Yes. He decides, all right, himself. all right, I'll wave. Now, we don't know. There's not, has nothing said of his background at this point, but I assume he was a commander during this global war. Yes. Well, spoiler alert, if you uh, are familiar with some of the other... Uh, media that surround this saga, such as the novelization and some of the comic books, it does dive or delve into the history of the ship's construction and who Henry Glowall is. But for the purposes of this episode, we are just introduced to him as the captain. He's the guy. Now, are these novelizations canonical? That's a debate for another episode, I think, <laughs> sir. We'll save that for, for the end. But uh, we are also introduced to, in the, to the bridge crew. To the bridge crew, which is uh, consists of uh, Lisa Hayes, Lisa Hayes, and Claudia Grant, Claudia Grant, and then the three other technicians on board. The three chattering nincompoops. <laughs> yes, apparently that that's a little. Uh, I don't know when this originally made a little post women's lib, but mm -hmm. yet still very traditional female roles. Yes, and it was always the 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 the, 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 the scenes with those characters uh, are always a little strange to me. They they seem to be that was. They flirted with being comedic, like, well, for example, when we're first introduced to Lisa and Claudia, they're talking about the night that they spent partying and, you know, getting ready for the celebration, sure. and Claudia was out late. With, with, one, with mentioned by name, one Roy Foker. Roy Foker, uh, having a late dinner, which sets Lisa off, which is interesting, but it shows the, that her character is Lisa, all... Lisa, not, not a partier. No, not at all. She's very concerned with duty very concerned with her function on the ship, doesn't think it's appropriate for Claudia to be fraternizing with an officer. That's right. All business. Yes, absolutely. But she's called out for it by Claudia and the other girls of the bridge crew, right. saying that she's just jealous because she does not have a man of her own. Zing. Burned by these jealous females mm -hmm. for just trying to do a good job. Absolutely. But, as it is... The day is not about that. It is about the celebration of the SDF-1 and the aerial aerobatics. That's right. Uh, and this is where a, a young Rick Hunter makes his first appearance. 
Yes, the our, our protagonist, ladies and gentlemen. And an unidentified aircraft. Absolutely. Well, uh, Roy Foker, who we heard about earlier, who has a connection to Claudia Grant of the bridge crew, he is showing off the new Veritech fighters and their aerial displays of acrobatic skill and precision flying when one Rick Hunter enters the airspace in an unidentified... Uh, Looks like an ultralight type aircraft. And you get, he's, he mentions uh, that he's part of an air circus or that That's he... The, yes, that the, the Hunter Air Circus where Roy Foker had previously been employed prior to these, this global ravage, ravaging it, war. Exactly. So I'm not sure if Roy, if he fought in the global war or if he was just a part of the... Well, it mentions, uh, I believe, that he shot down, I want to say, 109... He had 109 kills. That's true. That's true. To which Rick it chastises him. Rick's a bit of a hippie. He is. He's I, a pacifist. He's, he's a bit of a pacifist. He's like, my pop, old old Mr. Hunter, <laughs> who ran this circus, didn't teach us to be awesome pilots for the purposes of killing. No. But uh, Roy has a job to do, but he's interrupted by Rick flying through the airspace, and so he orders him to land and to get out of the flight path of the Veritech fighters. Actually, he ordered by Lisa Hayes. Oh, this is I. Yes, I stand corrected. Yes, to, to identify not only identify himself but get out of the way of this aerial demonstration. This is correct, and then Roy gets on the uh, the the microphone slash radio. <laughs> right. Switch this <laughs> over, over to radio. To, radio, uh, to, to tell Rick, hey, I'm mad. Yeah, uh, don't quit being a hot dog yeah. and interrupting my cool Veritech fighter demonstration. Let's just, I invited you here, but you're, you're making me look bad. So come on, dude. Yeah. And so Rick, it, what does he do? Does he comply with his friend's wishes? No. No. He shows up all these fighter bites by an even more impressive display of aerial delight. Much to the chagrin of the people watching, and uh, much to the delight of the crowd, but much to the chagrin of the military people yes, watching, who are not very happy. Right, and that is where we first see a young Minmay, not identified by name yet. No, she's just in a, the crowd, just a young girl. But she is a very pivotal character in this saga, and I would say a controversial character in this saga. At least my feelings about her may—I don't know if it would be considered controversial. I'm but curious to see how I feel about her as an adult. Yes, it's because a, as a 12-year-old. Not so much. Yes. There was... Yes, well, we'll save that for when we get to more of her, her story uh, unfolds before us. But we are introduced to young uh, Lynn Minmay uh, and her little brother. Is it her little brother that's uh, running around wanting a... I was never sure if that was a brother or some other sort of relative, but a, a young child. A young child who is after a... Of undetermined <laughs> familial relation to... Somebody Minmay. who she's either related to or babysitting. We're not really sure. But uh, we were introduced to her and his temper tantrum. He wants, is it a happy cola? I believe, is it? <laughs> some sort of wonder, generic. Wonder cola? Something, some sort of gener something like that. generic cola from a machine. But I do like that the, the, the machines are in, this, in the future are uh, on wheels, and they know what you want and will follow you around. Or you can call them, and they'll just come over to you and bring what you want. I'm all for that. I like that. Somebody like needs it. to be working on that. I don't that. know why somebody didn't see this show 20 years ago and go, why haven't we got that technology? That's the kind of robo-technology I'm talking about. Absolutely. But I have to feel, I have to feel that that, uh, just not to digress, but as an adult looking at that, I have to think, well, yes, absolutely, they developed robo-technology for the military to create these massive flying machines and transformable robots and things like that. 
but that technology you would have to think would also have to sort of filter down sure. into what the are the what are the domestic applications absolutely because all the technology we use in our homes today at one time all from NASA absolutely and so velcro Teflon there you go all that stuff. so all these robots that run around serving colas you that have to tube think I, that tube I insert into my penis when I <laughs> urinate in space absolutely it all comes from NASA. it's all NASA tang, tang. I mean come on of both the orange and poon varieties. <laughs> but uh, speaking of Lin Min May, uh, no. Uh, so <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet. Not We're yet. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. But uh, right as all of the celebration is going on, and in this brouhaha with Rick's flight demonstration, we are visited. We are shot to the depths of space. Yes, by uh, these large space fortresses, these giant, these giant ships appearing as if from nowhere through some sort of warp. Appearing at the outer edges of our solar system. And we are being observed by... An armada, if you will. Absolutely. And two specific characters are viewing what's happening on Macross Island through their view screens on their giant command ship. Lord Britai, the commander of the Zentradi fleet, and his second-in-command, and I would assume science officer, Exidor. I always thought of him as more of a counselor. I was never quite sure yeah, he's sort what of, he was. Sort of like a Tyrion Lannister, if you will. Yeah, he sort of functioned as sort of a as like as as a chief of staff, maybe, or some sort of like top advisor. He just he's always offering Britai advice or, you know, information about what they're viewing on the view screen. But Britai, uh, who is the one with he's the larger of the two with the uh metal half, half his head apparently. Gone, replaced with a metal plate. Which, uh, if you read some of the backstory media, you'll know why he has that uh, on his face. But oh, we can, I want to We now. can talk about it. I want to now. Would you like to know? I would I, like I, to I know. I can tell you. Um, fill me in. I will fill you in. Well, if you uh, if you go back to the, the novelization, and I believe it may be in some of the comic books, but um, the owner of the SDF-1 uh, is a character named Zor, who we are introduced to. We, he's mentioned, mentioned... Mentioned later in the episode. Mentioned later in the episode, but he is introduced... And his story is told more in the second series of Robotech, the Southern Cross era. Which, which I have never seen. Which uh, will be interesting to Absolutely. see how you view that. But um, this fortress was being sought by the Zentradi uh, uh, for the protoculture matrix that was stored on board. Protoculture being the energy that powers robotechnology. Absolutely, which is derived from the flower of life, which was... Uh, taken by Zor from the Invid, which is a species that we will hear about, but we'll learn much more about in the third chapter of the Robotech saga, the new generation saga, if you will. But uh, in order for Zor to keep his technology and his space fortress out of the hands of those who might use it for evil purposes, he sent it away. He messaged, he blasted it into hyperspace, which is how it wound up on Earth. But Britai was one of the Zentradi who was uh, tasked with protecting Zor, from any evildoers or anybody that was coming to to try to get the SDF-1 from him. And when he realized that Zor had uh, double-crossed the Zentradi and sent the protoculture matrix away, chaos ensued, lots of firing, lots of explosions, and in that altercation, Britai's face was injured, and that's how he lost his eye. And so he replaced it with a metal face plate attachment thing, and then set... I have to admit, kind of badass looking. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And then set out on a quest to find Zor's lost space fortress, which is where we find these characters when they show up at the edge of our solar system. Thank you for that little bit of backstory. You are welcome. I know so much about this show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and and so this armada appears, which automatically triggers the ship that's on Earth, on Macross Island, in the midst of this party 
this celebration. The bridge crew is suddenly alerted by all the readouts going off. There's yeah, some the alarms start going some off. Some strange machinations are happening. The main gun just fires. It just opens up, and this huge particle weapon beam... Yeah. I mean, takes out half the island, and then shoots through space and blows up about five ships. Absolutely, just the ab alien obliterates them. Obliterates them. Yeah. And everybody's like, what on earth is going on, including the Zentradi, going, uh, what just happened? Uh, Why are they firing on us? Well, we're, wh what's going on, people? Basically, this all starts with a misunderstanding. It's just, it's the whole, the whole saga is just like, uh, Zor decided to leave a little something behind on his ship, which Captain Gloval kind of taps in on, realizing what's right. going on, and brings us to the title. The titular booby trap. Absolutely. The maniacal laughter, by the way, Quite disconcerting <laughs> of, of, of Captain Global when he realizes what is happening. Absolutely. And he's realized that the Space Fortress is... Almost a dark, cynical laughter, yes. if you will, from Captain Global. <laughs> he's a very dark character. He's sort of got a... He, he, it seems to me his character has a weight that we're never fully let in on, but he's got a past and a history, and it's it, it sort of colors his perceptions of a lot of things, I feel. It, he's got he's carrying with him some heavy burden that we're never quite let in on. But this, fitting with his personality, he realizes that this ship must have some sort of safety mechanism that will alert it in case an alien or some sort of bad intruder tries to find it. It sets off its main cannon as a, she would say, booby trap, to prevent unsavory forces from finding the ship and using it for bad purposes. The aforementioned Zentradi. Absolutely. So, you know, this leads to, you know, an alert being sent out. All Robotech forces go on alert. A fight ensues. But while this is happening, Rick, while being shown what a Veritech is by his friend Roy, Roy just immediately leaves him in the cockpit of one of these fighter, you know, these Robotech fighters, this kid, he doesn't know what he's doing in that thing. He's a pilot, sure. Sure. But it's like, I don't know, uh, would you want to leave an unsupervised kid hanging around a super spectacular Veritech fighter that probably cost millions and millions of dollars or whatever the global economy is using these days? Maybe there's one money system. I don't know. But regardless... Never really explained. Roy runs off to join his squadron to, to, to head out after the... Skull, skull team. Skull, the, yes, he is Skull Leader, uh, yes. which is a very important uh, designation, which will come up many, many times in this show. But uh, the Zentradi, because of the alert and the uh, destruction of some of their space fleet, immediately go on the offensive and say, we've got to get down to that planet. We've got to find out what's going on, recapture this space vessel, stop the... Aliens that are teaming all over this spacecraft that doesn't belong to them. Primi primitives. Primitives, even. Primitives. primitives using even. these primitive weapons. Why are they using these primitive weapons at us? But they send their uh, ground forces to attack a Macross Island and to try to reclaim the SDF-1. And that's where we find the Robotech uh, Defense Force in their full Veritech glory uh, to try to stop the invaders from... Captain Global reluctantly ordering them... He's, he was hoping to avoid... All forces move out. He was hoping to avoid some sort of like armed conflict, but already the he, first day... He just wanted... He, he, he apparently has seen so much combat and battle prior to this that he, he had hoped that this day would never would come. Would never come, but it has. On the very day that the Macross 
uh, Island celebration is taking place, and the SDF-1 was about to launch on its maiden voyage. Very, sa- it's very sad. Very, very there's sad. a. Lo- uh, you're absolutely right when you said there's a heaviness. Uh, you have a feeling. I have a feeling he saw a lot during that global war, and uh, he he's carrying the the scars of that to this. Now, very what day. what ethnicity? Do you think Captain Glover was? I always pictured him as Russian. Well, you know, it's hard to say. As a kid, uh, based on the way his character is presented on the on on the show, he's got a darker skin. He's not. He he always struck me as maybe being, you know, South American or you know, sort of a Latin sort of you know character. He had that. He has that big Stalin mustache, though. But but it's also you know it's black. It's jet black, and it's sort of got that sort of you know that sort of Latin and and his and his accent is. You know, Russian. It's Spanish. It's it's hard to. It's for me as a kid, and even as an adult, it was hard to sort of pin down. But I think that I think Russian is is possibly the 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 the, the actual what he's actually. So with all your backstory, as. you're aware of it. It never mentions. His. I, be, I believe it's. I believe they. I believe Roy Folker mentions his Russian accent okay. in one of the novels. I think he does. So he's so, good. So I, I picked. So, I did pick up on that. Then. Yes, okay. but that was not. It's not ever said in the actual show. And it's one of those things, well, is it canon or not? I don't know. But um, I don't think it's ever been definitively said in the show what ethnicity is. So as this is happening, we, we cut back to the Zentradi uh, flagship, if yes. you will, mm-hmm. with, with Britai and... Exodor. Exodor, who have not... Neither one of them have been named at this point no. in the series. No, no, but I don't uh, even think we've been... I, I don't think it's mentioned that these are the Zentradi. Or the narrator may have said The narrator mentioned it, but with no real explanation as to why he mentioned it. But this. interesting thing about the narrator, I, I've picked, I picked this up with him in this episode, and, and I've, I've watched ahead a couple episodes, and he, and he does it again. Uh, he is the most spoiler-filled narrator I've ever heard. <laughs> because bef- well, No, that this comes from a culture prior to spoilers. Yes, this is true. This is true. But he sort of teases what the next scene... We're, 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 you know, meanwhile, while the Zentradi are doing this, we're going to go back to the Robotech guys and see what they're doing. But he's always he always foreshadows it, or he always gives away just a little bit too much information. He always sort of you know he sort of says uh, Rick Hunter's going to do this, and oh by the way, at the end of the scene, he's going to do this too. It's sort of a weird thing. When you, as you're watching, pay attention to way he, the way the narrator speaks. Well, he really does at the end of an episode when he's previewing the next episode. Yes, for sure. But he does it throughout the series during the show as well. <laughs> so, uh, in this. Uh, while they're on the bridge, the Zentradi ship, uh, and speaking to each other, this is where we first hear of Zor- Zor's battleship. Yes. And also, they refer to the humans as Micronians. Yes, very... Impo- a little foreshadowing about the of a huge difference between the Zentradi and the humans. And the humans, which is not revealed in the first episode, which no. I think is really interesting. A little foreshadowing Absolutely. There. So, of course, Rick, we cut back to young Rick Hunter, still in the cockpit... As this battle is happening, taking a nap. Yeah, just kind of chilling, just, just hanging out. Not really sure why I'm still in here. I guess my friend will come back when this alien dogfight is over, <laughs> and we can conti- he can continue showing me more about this. I'll just take a nap while I wait. Absolutely. but <laughs> Like you do. His nap is interrupted by... Lisa Hayes. Absolutely. Coming. Who is in this Veritech, Veritech fighter or whatever? Who is... Identify yourself. <laughs> Who's in there? Look, we've got a war going on. What are you doing sleeping? We need every available pilot to get out there and fight whatever it is that's coming at us. VF-102, I order you to take off immediately, to which Rick says, if you insist. And he does. Straight into an aerial dogfight. <laughs> Pacifist Rick Hunter, now behind the, the wheel or the wings of a 
super transformable Veritech fighter to fight the Zentradi. But he is not aware of the amazing technology that no, this he fighter... He just a cool fighter jet. He, his friend Roy was not able to show him all the cool gadgets and tricks that this thing does. Who, who comes over the comm to speak with him. Yes. And he calls Roy Big Brother. And that is also foreshadowing. Absolutely. There's a lot of... It's a very brotherly relationship between Rick Hunter and Roy Foker. Now, I can never quite figure out their their age difference because Rick in this I believe is about 15 years old seems like a, t- a an older teen yeah so it's like but it's interesting to think well if the global war happened Roy was not old enough to necessarily participate in that because if he did well no he did participate in that so he he would have so to I would be, have to say he was 18 or up at that time so I want to say he's he's a maybe a decade older than Rick a decade 10 to 15 years old. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. Because I was thinking maybe they were closer in age a little bit, but it didn't. It made the timeline kind of screwy in terms of when the war happened and all this kind of stuff. Right. But Rick is definitely much younger, He's a, he's a, and he's smaller, too, when they show him together. But um, but Roy has had combat experience. He's the leader of the Skull Squadron, and so, so he's the man in right. charge. Top gun, if you will. Absolutely. And so Rick, of course, loses control of this, this awesome technology, and he's going down. He's in a spiral. And we flash back to a, a delightful moment at the Hunter Aerial Circus, where they're both flying biplanes. Yeah, biplanes. Yeah, biplanes. And we, a smiling Rick looks up at a smiling Roy. It's a very, it's a that's a very interesting. And they do this a couple of times throughout the series with flashbacks and things like that. But it's a, it's an interesting. It, it, and again, it's interesting watching this as an adult because this is a a, a storytelling trick, not trick, but a storytelling element that you see a lot of times. But it's never really shown in like a cartoon type situation. Like uh, maybe there might be some flashbacks in, 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 you know, the Transformers or G.I. Joe where, you know, a character will reference something. Do you remember when this happened and they'll show like a flashback or something? But this is very stylized. It's very, you know, the, the animation style looks different or at least it's got this sort of gauzy filter on it to sort of give you the impression that it's from a long time ago. And very the music, wistful. Yeah, wistful. Mi- Miyazaki comes to mind. It's got, <laughs> it's kind of got that sort of like, you know. It does the, have a bit of that. Absolutely. That element to it. But it's just sort of, it's, but it's also kind of somber and 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 kind of like wistful like wistful is a good word you know nostalgic kind of a thing but it's it's very quick but it just sort of harkens back to him remembering uh, remembering uh being in the air circus with his big brother and that sort of snaps him out of the the sort of the the, the craziness or it, it, it's a place for him to retreat to to uh avoid or to sort of uh get out of this crazy combat zone that he's found himself in. That's right. And then then Lisa Hayes again comes back over the comm, advises Rick to pull the B-switch. Don't you know that you have this awesome technology? Aren't you a Robotech Defense Force pilot? Don't you? Have you Aren't been you briefed? a trained pilot? Or don't you know how, what this machine does? So she advises him to pull the B-switch, and the airplane transforms into a human, a giant Humanoid robot. Absolutely. Towering over the buildings of Macross City. Which it plows through about six of them. Absolutely. As he's stumbling through. I mean, buildings, I can only assume, full of humans. <laughs> we would think that they haven't. Perhaps eva- they've been evacuated. I'm not sure. I don't think the evacuation has happened yet. They, they, the, the island does get, there There are people running around and, and things like that. But the, the, the invasion hasn't quite hit the island quite yet. So it's still... The people are still in their homes. They're still in the buildings. So, yes, it's a good we, point. We have to assume that Rick just wiped out Wiped a bunch. out families. Not <laughs> unlike Superman at the end of Man of Steel. <laughs> Undiscriminate <laughs> just, slaughter. Just destroyed everything on the island. A lot of what we call collateral damage. 
these days. So he 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 comes to when he finally when the, when he stops the inertia of the giant humanoid robot, he realizes I'm alive. I have survived this free fall from the edges of our atmosphere all the way back, and I'm alive. And that is where episode one ends. Yes, and it's interesting that it ends at that point because it's a cliffhanger. It's and again. As a child watching this, I realized what, what I was watching was very different than most of the other cartoons I'd ever seen. It was telling a, a piece of a much bigger story that didn't end when the episode ended. Right. Maybe my first exposure to serialized storytelling. And it was really fascinating because it yes, there's some some you know, there's some explosions and there's some, you know, action and things like that, but it's a very as you said at the beginning, a lot of information is being dumped in your lap right at the beginning. The main character, you know, Rick Hunter, who we see in the opening credits and is very clearly the main character of this sh- of this show, doesn't really do a whole lot. He's not. I mean, he's in the show, but he's not like barely introduced. He's in, not in really the, the focus of the episode, and it, it sort of ends in a very. And I remember as a kid thinking, "Well, that is that it? Well, well what happens next? I, I got to tune in tomorrow and find out what's going to go on. What? Well, 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 he's got a robot. Well, he's got to fight something with the robot, right? Well, where's the bad guys? Aliens are happening. Chaos is all around Macross Island. And to find out what happens next, listen to our next episode. I've been Michael McCall. I've been Mike Cunliffe. You've been listening to We Will Win, a Robotech podcast. Email us at wewillwinpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at WeWillWinPod, at WeWillWinPod. Thank you for listening. Last